Welcome to Theology in the Dirt, where we try to practice our theology at home and in the public square of our city and our world. Your hosts are Keith Thompson and Mitchell Jolly. Theology in the Dirt is produced by Chris Hayes, and the artwork is by Kayla Sanner. Well, Keith, good morning. How are you today? Doing well, man. Glad to be here. Yes, always fun. Well, today we're going to chew up a little bit uh, more cultural Christianity. We've been talking about evangelism uh, at church. Mm-hmm. We're studying through these indicators of what a New Testament church is. One of them is evangelism. Right. And for us to contextually figure that out a little better and not make assumptions, we kind of need to know where we are, right? So uh, when I think about some of the work we've done and the places we work and the people we work with, I think about the message and how I make it understandable, mm-hmm. right? I don't change the message. The message is eternal. The good news of the kingdom, uh, you might say, is immutable because it's the message of the unchanging God of all creation, right? right. His story. But the language I use communicate maybe to a Muslim, to a Buddhist, mm-hmm. to an atheist uh, is maybe going to be different. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, we live in a place where if you ask somebody, everybody's a Christian, yeah. regardless Particularly where we are in the United States. <laughs> yeah, they're Christian. Whether they're on um, <laughs> they're on a, a work release from the local prison <laughs> for their uh, third conviction of something, but man, I I asked Jesus into my heart when I was five. Yeah, right. I'm a Christian, right? And you're going, man. So where we are, we kind of identify this context as cultural Christianity or nominal Christianity. Yeah. So how are we gonna? share the gospel with these people. Well, maybe it's helping us on the front end identify who we're talking to. What's their cultural context? And so we're calling that cultural Christianity. So when you hear that, Keith, what do you think? um, When you hear cultural Christianity, what are some things that come to mind for you? Yeah, I think it helps to to use the term um, nominal Christianity with it because nominal simply means in name only. Yeah. Right, the term, term means name only. So, yeah. Uh, someone's a Christian not because of, um, you know, a strict adherence or commitment to a, a worldview, but it's yeah. it's just who they, you know, maybe they, they grew up in a church. Um, I, I think a cultural Christianity, I think a lot of folks end up as cultural Christians because they're born into it. Right. You know, why are you a Christian? Well, because <laughs> they may not put these words on it, but at the end of the day, it's because they were born into a family yeah. that, that, that basically taught them certain things and exposed them to certain things. I think it, I'm just thinking off the top of my head, I don't think it's very common to run across a cultural Christian who was not, like you don't meet a 40-year-old cultural Christian who was never exposed to Christianity. Right. right they, you don't become a cultural Christian by accident or, right. or you don't really even choose right. to, to get there. Right, um, that's right. And so there's this, um, there's this sense that a person is born, they're grown up, they grow up in a world mm. that is um, that pigeonholes them into a certain way of thinking. Right. And um, it's it's really not very it's not an examined yeah. worldview. It's not something that they spend a lot of time thinking through. That's right. Um, it's just kind of like, yeah, yeah, man, I'm I'm a Christian. Assumed is a huge word when it comes to cultural Christianity. Yeah. So much is assumed about what's true mm-hmm. and how do I practice that, right? right? Dean and Sarah, which we're saying is a great book called The Unsaved Christian. It's worth people going and getting a copy of. Fantastic little book. He says, uh, 
in there, how do we bring Jesus to a place where he is admired but not worshipped, where God is grandpa in the sky and where church attenders don't know they need to be saved? That's the question. That's yeah. the question. Because people would ask, when we came back to plant a church in Rome, Georgia, why are you planting a church here? And I'm telling my story of I was 20 years old before I heard the core of the gospel. Mm-hmm. Um, and and couldn't articulate when I was 20 what it was I had believed. But there's a title for it, and we'll get to it in a couple of weeks, right? Yeah. Moralistic therapeutic deism. We'll define that later. But <laughs> that's that's wild. But that's what I was, yeah. right? And so how do you bring Jesus to a group of people who admire Jesus but don't worship Him? Yeah. And that's, that's the key question. Right. How do we reach people here? One of the things that was most beneficial for me when I— decided to do some short-term mission work was I, I was dragged away to this place uh, because I was going to a culture that everybody recognized was so different from the one that I knew. Right. Um, th- there was this need to go and examine my beliefs right. to try to tease out the parts of my beliefs that were beliefs that were um, cultural right. and preference. Right. From, pull that away from the, my my worldview that was solidly biblical. Right. So there's this acknowledgement that, hey, Thompson, there are things you believe that really aren't biblical so much as they are cultural and um, preferential. Right. So you go in and you you say, okay, well, in contrast, the world that you're going to, um, they don't, that part they don't agree with or they, they, and and you don't want to change that because that's not even biblical. Right. Right. That's, that's your preference. Right. Well, that's such a valuable process, right? Because most people don't ever feel the need to do that. Mm-hmm. So, at, at what they're telling me is, look, there's a part of what you believe, Thompson, that isn't biblical, right? That you think is, right? That's the cultural Christianity part, right? And so, but the truth is, Mitch, that all of us, all of us, need to sort of take that time to step away and say, yeah, what is it that I believe um, isn't biblical? Right. Because we all have those. We yeah. all have those beliefs. We're all sort of do it. Like when I'm interacting with a cultural Christian, right? if I'm truly a biblical Christian, I'm already crossing. Right. I'm crossing a, a cultural barrier. That's right. They believe things that they think um, are biblical. Right. But you and I know they're not biblical. That's right. And so the thinking through that process helps us, number one, identify what it is and helps us help them identify those thoughts mm. that we had to work through on our own. Yeah, that's good. Does that make sense? Yeah, it makes perfect sense. What are some things for you, when you were in that context, what are some of the things that s- stood out to you immediately? Or maybe not so immediately, but but began to stand out is that's a component that's not worth dying for. That that might not be ultimate truth. That's an expression of this truth that is foundational for all of us. What yeah. are some of the things that you experienced? Yeah, some of those things are like how, how to do church. Right. Um, some of them are how you behave inside the building. Um, right. What the building ought to look like. What you should dress when you go in to the building. Um, right. Some of the things. Some of those things are, are superficial. Right. Um, a lot of the things that um, that really matter. Right. Um, you know, a lot of things that really matter, they transfer from our culture. We, you know, a lot of the churches in the South get that part right. Right. Um, when you start working through, well, what is, what are the things that cultural Christians believe that are wrong? Um, it's hard for me because my mind goes immediately to this notion of, of moralistic therapeutic deism. Right. I think that does such a good job yep. of identifying cultural Christianity. It's hard for me to split those two things apart in my mind. Yes, it is. But, it is. But yeah, so I think. Um, 
on the surface, it's it's you know how the things that that are di- not even you know we talked about first tier, second tier, and third tier. Right. A lot of those things aren't even third tier; they're like right. fifth and sixth tier. <laughs> right. Um, so a lot of them don't really matter. Right. Uh, but then there are those that really do matter, and those are the things we're trying to get to the heart of yeah. today. I think. Yeah, absolutely. I, it, one example for me in a global setting in a, a country uh, that's predominantly transcendental worldview mm. in the very north reaches of this country, uh, I was invited to come and sit in a worship service of an established uh, fellowship uh, that had been there for hundreds of years. Mm. But it was very much set apart, not in the sense of it's reaching its city, not holy, but set apart and it was so foreign culturally mm. that it was really ineffective. But the 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 guy who was preaching from the Bible that morning told this story about, uh, and this is an example of, of, of cultural Christianity not being separate from and being holy and being distinct, but assimilating mm-hmm. foreign ideas into it. And he told this story about sacrificing to God and giving to God our best. And, um, and they had a, a special needs child and another child that wasn't special needs. And so uh, he told this story of uh, uh, a missionary coming through and they wanted to give to help. And, um, and he, gave, he, he gave him his special needs child. And the missionary turned, and this was a made up story, turned and told him, how dare you give your least to God? And I'm sitting there listening to this going, oh, my. And and he meant this. Like, this was a real, like, <laughs> right. in other words, give your best to God, and it's not your special it's needs not child. Your special needs and, and, and in that moment, I was, you know, exegeting from a transcendental worldview in this reincarnation yeah. cycle. This is less than because you're paying for something in another mm-hmm. life, right? And so here's a guy who has taken this worldview, he's assimilated into his Christianity and made it sound Christian, dressed it up with a nice, neat Christian T-shirt and a Christian sermon in this big, magnificent building. And and here are these people say, and I was just livid. Like I wanted to stand up and <laughs> no! shout, no, please God, don't. And so there, there are these places where even not concrete things, but ideas mm. are assimilated from the dark kingdom right? and baptized into the name of Christ. And they're dark, yeah. and they're devastating, and some of them more dark than others, but can lead people down a path of poor practice, and and frankly, lead people straight yeah. to hell. So every place can have its version of cultural Christianity. Yeah, if that's you're right. In a, if you're in a setting like that, cultural Christianity is going to bring in yeah. ideas of reincarnation. Yeah. Because it's such a part of who they are. Yeah, that's right. And, and they haven't done the the really hard work to tease out. No, that's that's. Yeah, that's a, that's not true. Yeah, that's a different team. We can't team. bring that in. That's a different team. Yeah, yeah. yeah. and and we do the same thing here. Yeah, um, that's right. And I think for me, it's it it's been stark as an American Christian to have my eyes awakened uh, over a period of years. I mean, I, mm-hmm. I wouldn't say this is this is not a oh this was an aha moment a year ago. This has been a long process of understanding who I am, where I'm at. Yeah trying to make application of the gospel here, my own personal story, roadblocks, mm-hmm. and, and then the and the, the um, sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit mm-hmm. to go, hey, Jolly, that's an idol in your own heart. Yeah, you, you have a problem there. You've incorporated something from another team onto my team, and that can't be here. Gotcha. You're trying to be a New Orleans saint, and we're the Falcons. <laughs> and this just isn't going to work. This is not going to work. And so recognizing that that uh, that these are legitimate issues. Mm-hmm. It can be in this country, in the northern part of this transcendental worldview. It can be right here in Rome, Georgia. Yeah. 
we can enculturate poorly right. and lead people astray. Yeah. What would you, would you, um, would you, do you think, it feels to me like cultural Christianity is in our world is a movement from a Christianity that was more orthodox. Like if you look at a place like you go far, far away, those guys yeah. are bringing in centuries yeah. of, of just completely wrong worldview. Things like yeah. a, a reincarnation right. sort of worldview. Right. You're trying to impose now Christianity on top of that. And now yeah. that's a different struggle yep. than what we're struggling with here because we look back at our ancestors, you know, yeah. <laughs> folks like the, the um, you know, the, the, the folks who came over here from, from the Netherlands and yes. settled our country, these guys are solid in their faith. Yeah. They, they, they know orthodox what they believe. Folks from the 16th, 17th century, there are things that they didn't quite get right, but most of it they did. Yeah. And we have sort of slowly, with enlightenment, sort of taken what was pretty solid and thrown away things with new ideas. Yeah. New I- so the, the problem with our theology is that we brought in new ideas. Yeah. That reject God, yeah. as opposed to a, a part of the world where their their new ideas are yeah. are the Bible, right? That's trying to overthrow the old ideas. Does that right. make sense? Yeah, it makes perfect sense. I think uh, it's 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 a degree of uh, entropy. Things yeah. move are moving in this fallen world from a degree of order to a degree of disorder. Because right. I see that in Scripture, you may have a. I mean, it's it's Jehoshaphat, right? Mm-hmm. Who gives birth to this king who's going to completely walk away from the faith? Yeah. And you see that not just in the Bible. I think you see it in history. You see someone who does something amazing, and mm-hmm. their children follow it up with not mm-hmm. not as amazing, which yeah. scares me from my sons because yeah. I'm like, oh God, <laughs> what am I doing? Right? How am I ensuring this gets passed on? So, so yeah, and it might be we. They got that right, mm-hmm. and then we start pulling in new ideas, or we take it for granted. Mm-hmm. We take for granted that we begin to assume, well, that's that's just going to always be. Mm-hmm. They got that right, and then successive generations begin to assume what they didn't assume, and you get three or four generations right. down the line, and what was so amazing has now turned into this cold, dead, right. assumed thing, and 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 you move away from it, and the next thing you know, you're. You're where their grandparents were mm-hmm. before they discovered this great thing. Right. And, and you think, how in the world did we get here? Yeah. So incorporating new ideas that may be false or assuming yeah. way too much. How, yeah, how did we get here? I don't know if that's something we'll get to today, but that's right. definitely a question that would be worth right. worth trying to work through. But So we haven't really even sort of defined, like, cultural Christianity, do, what do cultural Christians generally believe? Like, how do you see it? Right, you're you're at a you're at the family reunion and you're having a conversation with one of your yeah. nieces or nephews or cousins and and you begin to go, wait a minute, I know these people would call themselves a Christian, but what did he just say or what did she just say? Right, there's a lot of that in my family. Yeah, yeah. I, I, this is this is how I would put some kind of little definition on it. I would say, um, and and again, I've not read a good definition of cultural Christianity. Yeah. This is my best attempt. And yeah. I would say it's an assumed religion that has happened over successive generations with legal and transactional requirements that are paid for by minimal effort to appease the God of our own creation. Okay. And so that that's a, a weak attempt at some manner of definition that I think gets worked out and various practices and ideas that we right. that we throw on there. So same effort. Yeah. 
Um, minimal effort. Yeah, I yeah. think there's a minimal effort in cultural. It's a, it's just enough to appease right. this idea yeah. that's been passed on to me that I've taken mm-hmm. up, and uh, or at least to meet that requirement. Yeah, to okay. appease the God of that requirement. Sure, whoever that happens to be. Yeah. So it's um it's this it's this false view of God. Yeah. Um, that has requirements for sure, but. Yeah, I'm not sure quite how that appeasement process works, but it depends on me to to do this appeasing. That's right. Um, That's yeah. right. So I'll throw some symptoms out to you. Okay. All right. So we're we're in the age of Rona, and so if if you like if you have a fever and you like taste and smell, right? right there's a good shot. You got the Rona. We look. That's we're a knowing. It's a hallmark, right? We're knowing some symptoms. Well, here's some symptoms I'll throw out, and let's talk about them. Right. Um, but before we do that, let's take a break, and then we'll be right back. Okay, welcome back. Uh, we're continuing to talk about cultural Christianity, yes. and so we're going to talk about some symptoms of cultural Christianity, and then we're going to wrap up uh, giving a, a sketch of moralistic therapeutic deism and uh, to be unpacked later. So here's some symptoms, Keith. I'm going to throw them at you, and let's talk about them. Uh, the first one I'll throw out there for us to discuss is the idea of Keith Thompson is a really committed Christian. <laughs> <laughs> that, right. that may be. I don't know who thinks that. <laughs> yeah, so, so yeah. A, a cultural Christian might say there's different levels of Christianity. That's right. There's, you know, there's me. Yep. Who, yeah, I'm, I'm in. You know, I, I won't be like Thompson. Right. Yeah. And, you know, we can talk about this. I don't know if you want to later about, you know, I walked the aisle. Yeah. That's I right. did that thing. Yep. Got my stamp. Yep. But, um, but you know, I'm, I'm the guy. That's really personal to me. Right. Yes. Yeah, I'm not really sp- outspoken about it. Um, yeah. Um, and you know, but it's there, man. I'm, 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 I mean, I'm on the team. That's right. My man Jolly, <laughs> Jolly and Thompson, they got podcasts. Yeah, that's right. Those jokers are super committed, and yeah. they're really serious about their faith. Yeah, that's right. We recognize that as as believers, we recognize that that's nonsense. That's nonsense. There's no such division in the body of Christ. Yeah, absolutely. The idea that I could be really committed versus nominally committed, and that's okay. Yeah. Like, I find no place in my Bible for that <laughs> whatsoever. I remember people used to say early on in the life of our church, they would point to somebody and say, man, that person that person ought to be a pastor. Or they would come and say, that person ought to be a pastor. And you ask them why, they go, because they're a really committed Christian. And I'm going... Wait a second. So the qualifications for a pastor in your mind is a really committed Christian. There's actually a passage in the Bible that tells us what those qualifications mm-hmm. are. But so is that how we now determine who leads us? Is they're really committed versus the rest of you guys who aren't really you committed? Do not have to be. Like, There's like, no requirement for real commitment. <laughs> yeah, that's right. We just drag everybody along by the hair into the kingdom of God and going, no, man, no, 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 no. So, so what have you believed that keeps you from being that committed? Right. I'm like, if this is real, yeah. then shouldn't your fervor match whatever fervor you... I, I feel like I'm barely skating by some days, right. and you're looking at me going, really committed? I'm going, you know my heart? No, man. Let's, let's do this together. You yeah. have the same... We're same, same. Right. And the point isn't of any of this... And when, these, when, when we... Well, the point about any of this isn't that um, right. anybody's arrived. Like, if, if right. you can confidently say, look, I, I believe yeah. I'm a committed Christian. What you're not saying is, I believe I'm a perfect person. I believe that I've got less sin in my life than Bob. Or right. That is not the point. And a lot of times when you begin to have these kinds of conversations about, well, what does, if you guys are talking about cultural Christianity, well, what's real Christianity? So I guess you guys are the only ones that are real Christians. 
it can it can begin to feel like we're becoming legal right. or we're throwing stones at people. No, the, the very heart of this, and it's the heart of the scriptures when right. when Jesus is is watching uh, the rich young ruler walk away because he wasn't really willing right. to sort of be a really committed Christian. Right. It's brokenness. That's like, right. It's, it's sad to watch cultural Christianity lead people to a place where they're going to get they're going to stand before Christ one day and hear him say what what he said in Matthew 7 I never knew you that's right that's right that that's devastating the it's idea, awful yeah that I, I could stand before Christ and having been a church member I served on this committee or team I did I worked at Restoration Rome I worked on the work days and Jesus say I don't know who you are yeah like that's Right, because he didn't say that to a person who was unengaged. That's right. He said that to a person who was shocked. Yeah. Because they had been engaged on what they thought was um, work for the kingdom. That's right. That's right. They were on the wrong ladder, to go back to one of our illustrations. They were on the wrong ladder, climbing in the right direction, just on the wrong ladder. That's right. Okay, let me throw this one. This this one could be a little controversial, depending on who hears it, but... uh, uh, when I was 20 and a new Christian, and I remember this debate raging at Chick-fil-A Riverbend Mall among <laughs> all of us employees there, right? So there's some new believers, and there's several of us came to faith in the Lord kind of at the same time, mm-hmm. and there's some who've been in the faith for a while. And this is a statement that used, it, it tripped me up when they would say, um, I asked Jesus into my heart when I was seven, but then I made him Lord when I was 15. And I remember going... I ain't read that in the Bible. But number two, can he be in my heart and not be Lord? And then you read things like, you know, if he puts his hands to the plow and looks back, it's not fit for the kingdom, mm-hmm. and going, wait a second, hold on, time out. So you, you're telling me that you became a Christian, but he wasn't ruler over your life? How, how did you draw a line? Yeah between those two things. Yeah. And that would always get a blank stare. And I'm and I didn't know. I'm young. I'm I'm reading my Bible. I'm a new Christian. I'm going, man, I hadn't read that yet. <laughs> Where's yeah. that at? Well it's not there. Well where did that come from? Yeah. So that that one makes people mad. Mm-hmm. Well it's because it's the it's the story of so many right people who grew up in the church. I mean right. how many testimonies have you heard? You know, I got saved when I was twelve. I lived like hell right. till I was twenty-five, and I had kids and realized, hey, I gotta get these people. I gotta get these rugrats in church. They're gonna turn out to be heathens. <laughs> they get back in church, and so they right. go from I gave my life to the Lord when I was twelve. Yeah, I sort of walked away from that when when summer camp was over and mm-hmm. the and the emotion left. That's right. I lived however I wanted to live. Right. Then I got old enough to realize my children. I don't want my children to be pagans. Right. And so what happens is they, they transition. What, what, what they mean by I gave my life to the Lord is now I'm in church on a regular basis. Um, I'm trying to take my kids to Sunday school, and I'm trying to make sure my kids really understand their faith. Quit drinking. Quit yeah, doing I, that other stuff. I quit right? getting drunk all the time. Yeah. I did it all because I don't want kids. Right. It's really a faith driven, driven by they, they want their children to live moral lives. Right. And so church is their best that's right. Based on what they know, church is the best yeah. way to achieve that. That's right. Uh, th- there's an s- entire world of secular people now who are in the media, and there is this ever-present pre- message to that same person now that's saying, oh, you don't need a church for that. That's right. Yeah. You don't have to go to church to have moral children. Yeah. Yeah, just, just do it this way. 
You know, right. you know, humanists are good people. You don't have to. Absolutely. Church is old school way to achieve that moral lifestyle. Absolutely. Right? So what that means is that testimony is is very prominent now. But in the next ten years, you're not going to hear that testimony anymore. That's right. That whatever it was that drove them back to the church. Right. It's not going to drive them back to the church anymore. Because yeah. you can find a moral code. Moral code is being preached at us on just about everything you find on podcasts, radio, TV. Yeah. There's a moral code. The question is, is that Jesus' moral code? Yeah, that's right. Or the, is that behavior Jesus' ethical behavior? That's right. And, um, and again... Um, well, the, the well, that's an example of one of those culturally assumed facts mm. that theologically I can be saved and not follow Jesus. Right. That somehow that crept in as as true. Yeah. I, where that came from, have no clue. Uh, I think there you could go back and do some church history into some of the Second Great Awakening revivals mm-hmm. and maybe some Charles Finney in there and some of that kind of stuff that began to work in to people's yes. theology. Well, that guy's on the stage; it must be true. And then it works into pop Christianity right. fact, and next thing you know, it's just assumed. Well, man, that's something that. Um you know, and Sarah deals with this in his book, and you mentioned, um, you know, what happened at the beginning of the 1800s that was, I didn't know this. I, I grew up in a Baptist church. Mm-hmm. Every church service I ever went to had an altar call. Right. I, I just thought that had been done since, you know, Acts 2, right? <laughs> right. I, had, I had no idea that right. that was really an innovation of Finney's ministry right. back in the early 1800s. Yeah. So this notion that... Um, we we work up we work up sort of an emotional response with a with a really powerful message in the right. heart of a listener and then ask them right then and there like if you really love Jesus yeah you need to walk forward now that's right that that that's when the altar call began that's right and so am I criticizing the altar call no I'm not I don't I don't think that um, a church who does an altar call right is wrong right. But what that does, and then Sarah talks about this, it what it can do is it can create this artificial sense of urgency right. that isn't a real regeneration of the Holy Spirit. Yeah, I, I can almost hear Paul in First Corinthians chapter two, and I came to you. I didn't come with these these wise and incredible, powerful sermons, mm-hmm. right? I didn't use these tactics. I came and I knew nothing but Jesus Christ and Him crucified so that your faith would rest on the cross yeah. and not on my wisdom. And man, I just almost feel like cultural Christianity is based on the tactics of wise people eliciting responses as opposed to the justifying work of the cross and the yeah. transforming work of the Holy Spirit to take somebody from death to life. Right. And 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 then if and and then if that Faith is built on something that's shifting. Mm-hmm. Then when it shifts, I'm done. Mm-hmm. I'm gone. Yeah, I don't know if we'll talk about perseverance or have an opportunity to talk about perseverance here, but the, the, the doctrine of perseverance means that even if you don't come down to the front after that message, yeah. if, if the Holy Spirit is indeed moving in me right. and, and drawing me with the call to Him, right. Even if there's not a call at the end of the service, it won't go away. <laughs> That's right. It will not go away. Yeah. Um, Martin Lord Jones, in his book Preaching and Preachers, talks about this story where this this pastor who believed in the altar call. I mean, he's, that was that was the thing to do. Right. Was talking about how he was disappointed in how many people came down front. Right. And jo- Lord Jones is like, well, you know, why why um why do you feel like it was less than expected? He goes, well, there was thirty minutes of him singing between the end of my service. 
Yeah. My, the end of my message and my altar call. That 30 minutes just got people sidetracked. <laughs> and, and, you know, he's like, if 30 minutes of singing right. can disrupt the spirits moving in someone's life, what is two weeks of, you know, <laughs> right. hard, you know, persecution going to do, right? Right. Yes. The Holy Spirit's draw on us. Yeah. If it's real, I'm not saying there aren't, there aren't, you know, mistakes made. Yeah. But you don't give your life to Jesus at 12 and then completely live like a hellion. Right. For the next 10 years. It's not possible. It's not possible. It's yeah. not, you, you'll never see room for that interpretation of mm-hmm. regeneration, like born, being born again. You'll yeah. never find that in no. the scripture. No, it, it, it's not there. Jesus couldn't be more clear, mm-hmm. right? You were this way. Now you're this way, right? And, and, and I think my own story matches up with what Jesus said. Like I, I didn't need an altar call. It was in the middle of this sermon that the gospel landed that he was preaching on the cross, and I was changed. My, I, I got traded from darkness to light, <laughs> and the Lord is the one who initiated the yeah. trade, and he took me from darkness to light, from death to life, and, and I couldn't go back. Even today, if if you were to say, hey, man, let's go back, I'm like, I, I don't think I can. Right. I, no. That, <laughs> there's no way I would go back. Yeah. I'm I mean, I, I can't even explain it other than I know. Yeah, and so, so, the, so the question is, well, why do Christians make mistakes? Like, if, if right. the old's gone and the new's come, yeah, yeah, and yeah. I've turned my back on the flesh and I've turned my heart toward Christ, right? Why do we make mistakes? Well, because um, it, the sanctification process, as we we've talked about in an earlier podcast, right? It's a process. Yeah. And so, what you look at um, in the light, like, how do I distinguish a cultural Christian? Who's not living for the Lord at all, but but would claim and name only their Christian right. from the person who is struggling with an addiction, right? Or the person who, um, yeah, addiction is sort of the one of the best I think examples. God doesn't always deliver us wholeheartedly from an addiction. That's right. Sometimes it's over time. Sometimes it never goes away. Paul, whatever his thorn in the flesh was, God saw fit not to, as far as we know, ever take it away. Right. That's right. So. Um, there, there is a sense in which we can fight and fight and fight and then succumb. Right. And then we're broken. Right. The Holy Spirit goes, Thompson, yeah. you know, what's going on? And so there's this brokenness that occurs with the mistakes that we make. That's As right. opposed to cultural Christianity where it's people actually leaning into certain practices that are counter to That's right. biblical Christianity. And totally fine with them. Yeah. And, That's and, right. And as far as they know, it's like, look— you know, why would I stop doing that? It's not that big of a deal. I'm not a really committed Christian anyway. Yeah, I'm, right. I'm one of the third tier Christians. It's okay for us to behave this way. That's right. Which is sort of that whole idea that you and I probably in, in where you grew up, uh, serial. I call it serial rededication. It's like rededicated at least every other week yeah. to to get this sense of in the place of repentance, mm-hmm. right? It was this sense of I need to do something to assuage this sense of guilt mm-hmm. because I have violated some standard that I'm not sure of and I, I need to go down there yeah. and rededicate again, yeah. right? Serial rededication because they're leaning into the sin right. as opposed to, man, I've, I've walked away from good. Mm-hmm. You have the words of life. Where do right. I, I need to go? I need to be back here. Yeah. And, and we, you probably know guys that are uh, struggling and fighting right now. They're fighting oh, yeah. because 
they believe the good news, mm-hmm. but they're fighting. Yeah, they're not leaning into the sin. They're trying to lean into Jesus, and it's a freaking war. It's a battle, right? Because the, the devil's all around us. The, That's right. The the um, the messaging from the enemy is yeah. is pernicious. It's it's insidious. It's it's awful. Yeah, that's right. And so we're waging war. I mean, the scripture uses that language on purpose. We that's are right. literally waging war. We are doing tooth and nail, fighting with everything we've got. Yeah. We're using every resource possible to um, to draw to to build our lives in a manner that's consistent with mm-hmm. a house built on the rock that's right. versus a house built on the sand. That's um, right. But the the waves still come. That's right. We're on the rock. We're anchored in. That's right. And we're buckled down. But every now and then, the shutters are going to fly off. You know. That's right. But we're not going to lose the whole house. That's right. We know people who call themselves Christians. Their house is gone. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. And they're sitting around and they're looking at me and you, going, "Yeah, this Christianity ain't all it's cracked up." Yeah. Or, or at the same time, going, "But I know I'm saved. But I know I've I'm saved. walked away from all these things I know to be right. But I know I'm going to heaven, and I'm going." Yeah. You're you're not. Yeah. You're not going to heaven. Okay, let's uh, let's come to the backside of our time here, and and let's do talk about Keith. These five, there are five components to moralistic therapeutic deism. Okay, why don't you talk about those, and let's uh, and let's wrap up our time doing a quick sketch of those. Yeah, so we'll we'll get back to this and and dive into it a lot more deeply later. Um, because it, it's such an insightful sort right. of way to describe cultural yeah. Christianity. It's a sociologist by the name of Christian Smith who has done this longitudinal study over a period of like 15 years mm-hmm. on the spiritual lives of teenagers. And he follows teenagers from um, 13 to 18 years old all the way up into um, early adulthood. Yeah. And what they did was they uh, they looked at their lives, they asked questions, they did surveys, they did personal interviews that were up to two hours uh, face-to-face um, in public places, and basically he pulls away, look, this, these are religious teenagers. These aren't teenagers uh, that are secular and religious. No, these are teenagers who would call themselves Christian. They're, they're, um, they identify as Christian. They're in our but, youth groups. But now that we've looked at what they believe right. about life, Right. It boils down into really five core beliefs. Yeah. Okay. Uh, he named it moralistic therapeutic deism because it's a moral life. Right. It does believe in in God. It's 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 deistic. Right. And it's therapeutic. God's there for me. Right. That's why the, the name is the name drives people away. It makes them think, well, I can't understand that because it's moralistic therapeutic deism. Right. But it, it really the name describes it pretty well. Yeah. But here's the thing. There's five tenets. One. There is a God. These people aren't atheists. Yeah. They believe in God, and they believe that God has ordered the world. Yeah. He's involved. Okay? Right. Um, now, what God requires of us, God does have a requirement from us. He's not completely letting us do whatever we want. Right. But His requirement is simply that we be kind. Right. You know, what? so what does your faith require of you? Just be nice to people. Love right. your brother. Right. right. Be kind. The third part is, what does, well, what does God hope for us in this life? Mm. Well, He wants us to be happy. Yeah. All of us should be happy. If you're a Christian, you should be happy. Right. And if it if, if something doesn't make you happy, it can't be from God. Right. Right. There's this no room these, for struggle. This right? is what these religious right. Christian people believe. Right. The fourth thing is that God is not really involved. However, he's not very involved in our lives. But he can be. Right. He's essentially a genie right. in a bottle on a shelf. Right. And when life gets rough... You go up, pop the top, rub the bottle. Genie comes out, right. delivers you. Yeah, because he's a God who loves us. He wants to deliver us. He right. wants us to be happy. Right. So he delivers us, and then when we're done, 
with that trial, we put him back in the bottle and we put him back on the shelf. That's how he interacts with us as believers. Right. He waits this, for our invitation, right? Basically, right. And then yeah. the final thing is, good people go to heaven. Mm. So who's going to heaven? Well, everybody. Like Hitler's not going to heaven. Right. Um, Mussolini's not going to heaven. Charles Manson's not going to heaven. But everybody else, for the most part, yeah. Everybody I know is going to heaven. Right. I actually ran across a book. Uh, that spurred a thought uh, last year that someone brought to me inside our fellowship that was recommended by another Christian, another fellowship. And the title of the book was Evangelical Universalism. Wow. And shocked. And it's actually, you can go, go to Amazon and order the book, Evangelical Universalism. So everybody's getting in, mm-hmm. right? Because good people go to heaven. Right. And so people are striving to be good and so they're going to get in. Yeah, Universal so if you, atonement. Yeah, if you're if you're wondering what the vast majority of the people in our world today, because those kids are now young adults, they're all yeah, they're all in their twenties and thirties. Um, if you're wondering what most people who say they're Christian believe, right? That's it. That's it. Yeah. Um, sociologists they studied it, and it's my personal mm-hmm. experience, and I think yours confirms that. Right. It confirms that. It now does. their children. Right. Their children are going to be even less orthodox right. than they are. The chances are their children, the children of this, this worldview, are going to be utterly secular. Right. Yeah. They're going to lose even that degree of, right. um, uh, you know, that degree of what we, would, we wouldn't call it orthodox. They would probably call it orthodox. Right. Absolutely. I think that the closer something gets to reality, the more nefarious it is. Mm-hmm. And the thing with the thing with cultural Christianity, moralistic therapeutic deism, it is it is a degree or two off. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's monotheistic. Yeah. It's moral, um, and 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 as long as it's not many gods or no god, yeah. we can kind of get on board, right? Yeah. As long as we say God, right? Because you know, God bless America. Well, which God? <laughs> the the moralistic therapeutic deist doesn't ask that question. Right. They're just like, oh, look at that! God bless America. He must be a Christian. Well, maybe not. Yeah, the, these folks can these folks can agree with ninety. I don't know what the percentage is. The, the very high percentage of worldview. Right. Of all those completely secular people. That's right. Out there. That's right. Um, you know, you these are the people that on their Facebook feed never mention anything about the Lord in their lives right. until tragedy happens. That's right. Then they're calling for prayer. Yeah, and they're asking y'all, y'all pray for us because such and such. I know God. Right. God wouldn't want you know so and so to struggle like this. Yes, that's right. And so you're going, well, man. These and my children, my children go. Oh, that person must be a Christian. Right. I'm going, maybe. Right. Maybe. Right. But if you understand, if you have a biblical worldview, you know there's way more to Christianity. Yes. Than God being my genie in the sky. Yeah. To deliver me from, from my. He's not. My therapist. That's right. That's right. He's, he's God. He's the God of the universe. That's right. And that 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 is a uh, the fact that uh, he's not our therapist, and that maybe he intends this difficulty for me to make me more like Christ, and that the goal isn't to make me happy, but to make me holy, because this life, if we're writing a paper. This life is a period, or maybe a parenthetical citation in the entire paper. Right. And there's an eternity to be lived in full and complete restoration and joy. Yes. And if the difficulty here keeps me from getting off the rails yeah. and going to hell, I will have gladly paid 
before that yeah. with the difficulty when I wake right. up and I'm resurrected and stand before Christ and he says, well done. Right. You finished the race well. Yeah. Well, if, if, you're a, if you're a physician right. and, and you're, you're a physician who practices in, um, in worldview analysis, you know, the, the patient comes and the patient comes with a, um, a cultural Christian worldview. Right. And you recognize that they've completely misidentified the problem. Right. In their mind, the problem is life is hard. Right. Um, therefore, we, I do need a Savior. I need a Redeemer because life by myself in my community, it's too difficult for me. Right. So I need someone to help me. Yeah. But that's the wrong diagnosis. The, the diagnosis isn't that the world is difficult. Right. The diagnosis is that human beings are spiritually dead. Yeah. We are without hope in the world. That's right. Even if you can get the house of your dreams and the marriage of your dreams and the children of your dreams and suddenly life doesn't feel hard anymore. Right. Until you realize that you are dead, spiritually separated from God forever. Absolutely. You can't get to the right remedy. Right. And that is the message, really, that's being preached in mass. Absolutely. To people as the Christian message. Yes. Look, life's hard. Yep. God loves you. He doesn't want you to be unhappy. He wants you to be happy. Right. Call on Him, and He'll drag you out of the gutter. Yes, that's right. Instead of, you're broken. That's right. Your problems start from within. You're dead. <laughs> you need a literal, spiritual Rebirth. That's right. You need to be moved from the column of guilty right. to the column of forgiven, mm. son, redeemed. It's a very different message, but it, it, it's subtle. It is subtle, absolutely. And, it, and the devil has done a wonderful job yes. turning our houses of worship into right. deceptive Yes, absolutely. Um, just yeah. communication that's leading people straight to the place where they're going to stand before Christ and right. hear Him say, "Right, I didn't know you. One thing you said a moment ago as we get ready to wrap up, because we're getting short on our time, you were talking about prayer. Mm-hmm. And, and I, I, uh, I see this. This is one of the symptoms of, of cultural Christianity. I see it a lot on social media, and I hear it uh, a lot from people. And it's, it, it's a preposition. Preposition grammar matters. Mm. The difference between right and wrong can be as simple as a preposition, <laughs> and and it is prayers to versus prayers for. Mm. Sending prayers to, as a as opposed to praying for. Mm. The difference between two and four is the difference between in the faith and not in the faith. Mm. Keith, if I send prayers out to you. No, no offense, but there's not much you can yeah. do to help me. If I'm praying, if I'm in such bad shape that I'm having to pray and you are where I'm sending them, yeah. we're, we're struggling, right? Yeah. And so, and, and I don't think people are even aware. Mm-hmm. I think they say it without unpacking it, which is the nefarious nature of cultural Christianity is it looks spiritual, sounds spiritual, looks good, maybe even passes the initial sniff test. But when you cut it open, you dissect it, you realize that prayers to other humans have zero effect right. because they can do nothing yeah. because they're they're dead. Or if, they're, if they've been brought to life, they're not all powerful. Right. They can't affect change, yeah. right? And so, and so that's the nefarious nature. Uh, and in order to see that, a person has to be brought to life, get right. eyes to That's see, right. because the devil's in the daggum details, mm-hmm. and they kind of matter. Yeah, words emerge from a worldview. They do, and you don't ha- you don't do it on purpose. That's right. Yeah, you no, know, it's not. No one's going to say, "Well, I, 
they're going to go out and mean it that way. Well, right. Maybe. I mean, we do make mistakes. I mean, we do yeah. use wrong words. But for the most part, our, our words flow from that's right. Who, what we believe about the world. That's right. And those words expose right. belief. That's right. right? And the fact that, uh, you know, Paul even encourages Timothy to be patient with people and work with them patiently in hopes that they will be rescued from from the one who's taking them captive to do mm-hmm. his will. I think most people say those things and have no yeah. clue because the enemy works overtime to hide truth from us. Mm-hmm. And if he can hide himself in the in prepositional phrases that keep us off the truth, mm-hmm. so he's done well. Yeah. And 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 oh that we have eyes to see and and have these kind of conversations to just make people aware. Mm-hmm. Because it could be something as simple as that that someone hears and goes, Oh my. And God uses that to rescue them. Right. And so we patiently endure. We recognize people are struggling uh, and they're trying to make sense of it. And, and some of it's just the nefarious mm-hmm. nature yeah. of the enemy. Well, Keith, thanks for the time. It's been Enjoy fun. It. Guys, we'll see you all next week. Have a good rest of your week out. Hey, thank you for listening to Theology in the Dirt. You can email us at theologyinthedirt at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you with some feedback and perhaps some questions if you'd like us to tackle. We'll see you next week. And until then, deuces.